Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to welcome our Vacation Bible School families uh, whose children were with us throughout this week for Vacation Bible School. We had a wonderful time and uh, thank all of the volunteers who who put in uh, an awful lot of time and energy into making this just a tremendous week for uh, the children of this church and of this community. I would ask you to sign the attendance pads that are in each of the pews. We want to have a record of your presence here in worship with us this morning. So if you would fill that out and pass it along to others worshiping in the pew with you. As you do that, note the announcements that are in your bulletin. Uh, one of the things that the children did during this Vacation Bible School week is they took an offering each day, and that offering is for Church World Service blankets. And there are a couple of blankets up here because there are two different kinds. There's a lightweight one and there's a heavier weight one, uh, depending on where they are going. But these go to places all over the world and can be used for all kinds of of different things, for shelter, for protecting belongings, uh, all kinds of things. And the kids, uh, each one of these is uh, costs $10 for Church World Service to send that blanket somewhere. And uh, during the week, the kids collected over $380, and that it, we, we celebrate that and, and all of the parents who helped with that. So that's, uh, that's already going to purchase 38 of these blankets, and you have an opportunity to add to that. There's a, there's a special insert in your bulletin that tells about the Church World Service blankets, uh, what those are about, and there is a special offering envelope. So if you would like to add to that Vacation Bible School offering to go to the Church World Service blankets, you can put that in this special envelope. And that will go to buy even more of these blankets to go around the world to uh, spread God's love and God's protection to people who are in need. We, uh, you, you saw the, saw the announcement on the sign that the church will be closed this week. To be more precise about that, the church office, the church building will be closed. But of course, the work of the church goes on. You are the church and the work of the church goes on. But the office and the building will be closed this week because the parking lot is going to be uh, completely redone. And uh, so I just want you to know that, that you won't be able to get into the building this week. But we will continue to uh, answer calls, respond to messages, and uh, be holding everybody in prayer. Uh, whatever needs may come up, uh, the church is here for you throughout the week. We are here today to do the primary business of the church, which is to worship and honor God with our praise. And so I invite you to be in that spirit, and I invite you to stand as you're able for the call to worship. Good morning. We'll join our call to worship as printed in your bulletin. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is made firm in the heavens. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of your holy ones. For who in the skies can compare to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like our God? God is to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. And let us join together in our opening prayer. Lord, The The eyes of all look look to you in hope, and you give them what they need. You open your hand and satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. We too turn to you again, longing to be filled, to eat of the bread of life, to drink from your life-giving streams, to taste your goodness and live. May the time we spend together in your presence, nourish our hearts and minds. May it strengthen our relationship with you and renew our commitment to live in this world as your faithful disciples. For you alone are God, the source and sustainer of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd ask you to be seated at this time, and I'm going to invite the uh, Vacation Bible School children to come up to the front at this time. Uh, one of the things that they did was they learned a lot of songs, and they're going to share a couple of those uh, songs with you this morning as they lead in worship.
Thank you, children. It's so good to have you with us this morning and helping to lead worship. They're going to, uh, some of them are going out now. And uh, as, as they do that, we're going to turn to our prayer hymn, which is number 578 in the hymnal. And we're going to sing this together. You can remain seated and we'll sing this together as we uh, prepare ourselves for prayer this morning. Let's sing together, God of love and God of power. God of love and God of power, make us worthy of this hour. We know, Lord, that we are not worthy, not on our own. We're not, no matter how much we have done for you, no matter how hard we have tried, still we are sinful people. Still we do turn to our own ways rather than yours. Forgive us, Lord, for all those times that we have gone astray. Bring us back to you, Lord. And we know, Lord, that you, you can make us worthy of this hour. For your great goodness, for your grace, for your righteousness that you pour upon us in Jesus Christ. That is what makes us worthy, worthy of you and your love. And so, Lord, open us to that grace that you are pouring upon us this morning and in each moment, that we would recognize your greatness, your power, your sovereignty over this world and over our lives, that we would surrender ourselves to you. Lord, make us your disciples. Lord, we thank you for this church family. We thank you for the ministries of this church, and particularly this week, the Vacation Bible School, where so many children of this church and of this community were able to come together and to experience your love, to experience your power, to know that you are with them no matter what, that you love them, that you are strengthening and protecting them. And Lord, may the teachings that they learned this week, may the experiences that they had this week continue to grow within them. Lord, the seed has been planted. 
but it is up to you to bring the growth. And so we pray that you would make that growth happen in all of these children, and we pray, Lord, you would make that growth happen in us as well. For we know that all of us have far to go on our journey toward that full stature of Christ to which you have called us. Be with us on that journey. Strengthen us for the days ahead as we seek to be your faithful people, as we seek to be your faithful church. We pray this all in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers to come forward now and wait upon us as we continue to worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Please join me in the prayer of dedication. Gracious God, we did not know it would cost so much or feel so good to follow Jesus. We are grateful that we have so much to give and so much yet to learn. We dedicate our offerings so that we and our neighbors may be equipped for life in your realm. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel lesson today is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for his arrival, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. sure how it is that he has a deeper singing voice than I do. That's just not fair. (laughs) This week's sermon is somewhat of a counterbalance to last week's sermon. Not that there's any contradiction between them, but there could appear to be a contradiction to someone who doesn't understand what this Christianity business is all about. For those of you who weren't here last week, or as a reminder to those of you who were, we were reading a section from Paul's letter to the Galatians in which he refers to the law of Moses as a disciplinarian. And Paul said that this disciplinarian of the law is no longer needed now that Christ has come and now that we live by faith. The point of that message, just like the point of Paul's entire letter to the Galatians, was that everyone who lives by faith in Jesus Christ is a child of God, is saved from sin and death, has received the promise of eternal life, that we are not to impose any other requirements other than faith. We are not to get hung up on any other identity other than the one that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All of that is true and biblical. As I say, it is the main point of Paul's letter To the Galatians, it is the gospel that he preached wherever he went. However, 
There are those today, just as there were those even back in New Testament times, and there has always been those who have taken that to mean that as a Christian, I am free to live on my own terms. That since nothing else can save me, nothing else matters. And that means I, all I have to do is believe in Jesus and then I can go on and do whatever I want. That is false. It's a lie. Let me make this clear. As a Christian, you cannot live life on your own terms. A true Christian lives only on Christ's terms. You don't have to go very far into the Gospels to realize this. If you read what some refer to as the red letters of the Bible, the words and sayings spoken directly by Jesus himself, you find some incredibly high expectations. Jesus, for as welcoming as he was, as understanding and forgiving as he was, he set an extremely high standard for those who would follow him. Look no further than the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. Over and over again, Jesus says, you have heard it said, and then he goes on to quote some commandment of the law. But I say to you, and then he raises the bar. It's not enough not to kill. You must not even be angry. It's not enough not to cheat on your spouse. You must not even be lustful toward another. It's not enough not to seek retribution. You must even be willing to forgive. It's not enough to love your friends and your family. You must love even your enemy. As a Christian, how you live matters tremendously. Jesus makes that very clear. But what he also makes clear is that how you live as a Christian is not dictated by an ancient legal code. Checking off the requirements of the law is not what counts. Rather, how you live as a Christian is dictated by the Spirit of Christ living within you and leading you to the kind of life of grace and mercy and sacrifice that Jesus showed us to be true life. Now, someone might say, that doesn't sound very good to me. Sacrifice? Not interested. Grace and mercy? No thanks. I like doing things my own way. I like deciding for myself. I like being in control. Fair enough, most people do. But then, don't call yourself a Christian. Don't say you believe in Jesus if you refuse to live by the Spirit of Jesus. Don't claim to be a follower of Jesus if you're still living on your own terms rather than submitting to His. Following what you want rather than what he wants for you, is not an option for a Christian. Our gospel lesson for today brings us face to face with that reality. We see some people who want to have it both ways. They want to follow Jesus, but they want to do it on their own terms. They want to be in charge of the when and the where and the how. And Jesus tells them in no uncertain terms, that is not an option. The heading of this section in the NRSV labels these as would-be followers of Jesus. They would be followers of Jesus, except, except that they have certain conditions, certain expectations, things that Jesus is not going to agree to or let them get away with. Jesus makes it clear that if someone wants to follow him, he is the only one who gets to set the terms. The words of Jesus in this story, they sound harsh. The words of Jesus often sound harsh to those who have a misconception of what Jesus was all about. A man comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus' response sounds a bit enigmatic. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What Jesus meant by that was that he had no home in this world. For three years, he had been traveling constantly from one place to another. He went wherever he was led by God. He stopped 
wherever he was welcomed by someone eager to hear his message. Life in this world for Jesus was never about finding a place of comfort and security for himself. He did not and would not have that in this world. His life was only and always about service to others. So too, it must be for his disciples. When Jesus called the twelve to come follow him, they left everything behind, not knowing where he would lead them, not knowing where they would end up, but trusting him. Trusting him, nonetheless. And for the next three years, and really for the rest of their lives, those twelve would also have no home on this earth. Life for them would not be about their comfort and security, but only about service to others. To a certain extent, that must be true of everyone who wants to follow Jesus. That's not to say that a Christian cannot own a house, but it is to say that a Christian must understand that the house that they own is not really their home. The places we live, where we collect our stuff, where we lay our heads, these are temporary shelters provided for us by God as we go about doing His bidding in our lives. Temporary shelters provided us by God as we go about doing His bidding. Temporary shelters. We live there only for a season For as long as God intends us to stay in that situation. And when God says it's time to move on, we move on. We cannot hold on to anything in this world as tightly as we hold on to Christ. Provided for us by God. When we start thinking that that the things that we own in this world, we earned them and therefore we deserve them. We've already forgotten the first principle of Christianity, which is we deserve nothing. The only thing that we have truly earned for ourselves is death. Everything we have in this life, indeed life itself, is by the grace of God. And it must therefore be placed in God's hands. As we go about doing His bidding in our lives. When our primary goal becomes our own comfort, gratifying our own interests, then we have forgotten what it means to be a disciple. The life of a Christian is not about pleasing ourselves. It's about devotion to God and service to others. When this would-be disciple said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, he had no idea what he was saying. Especially when you consider what Luke had told us about Jesus just six verses before this. At the beginning of our reading, Luke 9.51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was already on his way to Jerusalem. He was already on his way to the cross. When this man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Really? Wherever? Even to Jerusalem? Even to the cross? That is the question for every would-be disciple of Jesus. Are you willing to follow him even to the cross? Are you willing to sacrifice everything in this world? Every comfort, every pleasure, every possession. Are you willing to forgo what you want for the sake of what He wants for you? If not, then do not say to Him, I am your disciple. And do not say to the world, I am a follower of Jesus. The second would-be follower comes along. This one, Jesus invited, just as he had invited the twelve, follow me, he said to the man. In response, the man said, first, let me go and bury my father. Sounds like a a reasonable request. 
He wants to follow Jesus, but he has a task that he needs to complete first. He, he needs to go bury his dead father. To that, Jesus replies, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That sounds terribly harsh. Is Jesus really going to deny this man the opportunity to provide funeral rites for his father? Is the call so urgent that it can't wait one more day? But what if it wasn't just one more day? What if the man's father hadn't even died yet? It's been suggested by many Bible commentators that the man's father was still living. The man in the passage was caring for his elderly father, and he intended to do so for as long as his father was still living. Once his father died, then he would bury him, and then he would be free to go off following Jesus. If that's the case, then what the man was doing was making an excuse for not going now. For not following Jesus. But it's a pretty good excuse, isn't it? I mean, it was expected of people in that culture to take care of their elderly parents. When one of the Ten Commandments says, honor your father and your mother, it's not just talking about kids following their parents' rules. Even more than that, it's talking about adults showing respect to their elders and taking care of their parents right up to the end. That's exactly what this man was trying to do, if, in fact, his father was still living. What did Jesus expect the man to do? Walk away from his elderly and possibly even sickly father, leaving him to the provision of others who didn't know him and respect him and love him the way that this man did? I think this saying of Jesus would almost be easier to stomach if the man's father was already dead. At least then, all Jesus would be denying him is the opportunity for a funeral, not the care of this man that he felt duty-bound to perform for his father, care that was commanded by both the law of God and by the custom of his society. There's no easy way around this one. Let the dead bury their own dead. If the father had already just died, then Jesus seems to be showing a calloused lack of concern over the man's quite natural grief. And if the father was not yet dead, then Jesus is showing an even greater lack of concern over the man's very godly sense of responsibility. And yet, Jesus does say, not just here, but elsewhere in the Gospels, he does say that in order to follow him, we must be willing to sacrifice everything, including relationships that that we would otherwise consider the most important, indeed the most sacrosanct relationships in this world. For I have come to set a man against his father, says Jesus in Matthew 10, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus, we were told at the beginning of this passage, had his face set toward Jerusalem. As I said earlier, he was already on his way to the cross when he called this man to come follow him. There was not a year to spare. There were not a few months to decide. There wasn't even an extra day. Jesus was moving toward the cross. If the man didn't come with Jesus now he would miss his chance entirely. What we tend to forget when we look at this from the man's perspective is that Jesus had the full picture in view. We don't know if the man's father was already dead or not. Jesus knew. If the man's father was still living, Jesus knew exactly what kind of care he needed and who could best give it. If the father was already dead, Jesus knew who could best handle the arrangements for the burial. From the man's perspective, it might sound like Jesus was asking him to abandon his father. But what Jesus is really calling him to is to trust him. To trust him in all things, including with the responsibility he held most dear in this world. His father. God would provide what his father needed, whether that be funeral arrangements or elderly comfort. 
And God would provide what this man needed. Entry into the kingdom of God through a living relationship with God's Son. If he couldn't trust God with the one, his father, then he would miss out on the other, his own salvation. And the same is true of us. We might have all kinds of excuses for not following where Christ is leading us. Some of them might even be very good excuses from our perspective. Family responsibilities that we need to tend to first. Work obligations that just can't wait. Our understanding of what society expects of us and what our family expects of us, often those are very good, even godly things, but not if they get in the way of Jesus. Not if they get in the way of Jesus. If they become an excuse for not following Jesus, then that is not of God. If I can't trust God with my spouse, with my kids, with my parents, with my friends, then I can't trust myself to God. Living for Christ, being a disciple of Jesus, means trusting Him in all things, even even if the world would judge me for it. The world would have judged that man harshly for leaving his father behind to go run off with Jesus. But it still would have been the right thing to do. The call comes only on Christ's terms. So the only judgment that matters is His. The third encounter is very much like the second. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house. Just like the second would-be disciple, this one wants to follow, but he has something he wants to attend to first. All he wants to do is, is go back home and say goodbye to everybody there. Again, it sounds like a perfectly reasonable request. He, he doesn't want his friends wondering what happened to him. He doesn't want his family worrying about him. He doesn't want anybody putting out an APB on him. Just let me go back home and tell them where I'm going, and then I'm all yours. Again, Jesus says, no. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying might be obvious to a farmer. I have never farmed. I'm a city boy. I've never driven a plow. But I understand that when one drives a plow, it's important to pick out a spot far on the horizon, in the distance, and and to keep your eye on that spot the entire time that you're driving the line. If you start looking around or, or God forbid, turn back behind you, your line's going to get all up. You're going to weave all over the place. I've noticed that with the the riding lawnmower at the parsonage. I, I never had a riding lawnmower before I came to Xenia. Every once in a while, as I'm as I'm riding along mowing the grass, I get this urge to, to look behind me and see if I missed a spot. And inevitably, every time I do that, when I turn back around, I find that I have gone off course. My line is now all crooked. I didn't feel my hand turn at all. I thought I was keeping it straight. But it happens every time. Turn around and you are going to get off course. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in this analogy. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and then looks back is going to get off course. They won't feel it. They won't know it until it's too late. Again, we have to go back to verse 51. Jesus had his face set to Jerusalem. His eyes were already fixed on the cross. He could not turn away. He could not look back. If he did, all would be lost. And so he tells his disciples and everyone who wants to follow him, the kingdom of God must be your number one and constant goal. If you take your eyes off of that, even for a moment, you're going to get off track. You will not make it. Jesus told the man in verse 61, 
that if he wanted to be his disciple, he could not even go back home and tell his family and friends before leaving. Because Jesus knew if he did, he would get off track. He would lose his line and he would never get it back. There cannot be anything that takes priority for us over doing what Jesus says to do precisely when he tells us. Anything else falls short. That is a far cry from do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's a far cry from I want to follow Jesus, but only on my own terms. It is also a far cry from a legalism that says, I'm a Christian because I follow all the rules. Or you're not a Christian because you don't follow the rules. It's not about the rules. It's not about a moralistic legal code and passing judgment on those who don't measure up. It's about a living relationship with the living Christ who knows us and who loves us and who wants nothing more than our salvation. It's about listening for His call always. It's about following His call in everything. It's about accepting life on His terms. Because we have faith in Him. Because we know we can trust Him. With everything. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you to stand as you are able for our closing hymn, which is number 399 in the hymnals. Take my life and let it be consecrated. Let us sing together.
go from this place now and be ever only all for Christ. Live life on His terms, trusting Him in all things. Go in the grace, in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.